Hey everyone, and it's 5 p.m. IST Saturday evening, and you're with me here on the Bukosmia Room on Backstage. I'm Archana Mohan, and I'm really very happy uh, to invite you all for this really special meeting here, uh, you know, that we are all going to know about. So happy to see all of you join in nice and early. A very happy Diwali to all of you from Team Bukosmia. We hope that this Diwali brings you and helps you find your spark. Uh, all the speakers out here, thank you so much for joining us. Can you please uh, mute yourself at this uh, time? And yeah, I will get back to you very soon. And uh, all of you are going to get a chance to speak to our very special guest, whom I can see is already here. We will hear from her very soon. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about the book that we have on hand today. The Gita for Children. It's one of the oldest books in the world and India's biggest blockbuster bestseller. But isn't it meant only for religious old people? Isn't it very long and super difficult to read? Isn't the stuff it talks about way too complex for regular folks to understand? Prepare to be surprised. That's what the blurb of the book says, and we are totally ready to be surprised. But I know that a lot of you aren't that surprised because a lot of you have gone back and read this book and loved it and have a lot of things to share about this book. And what an amazing day that we have the author of the book, Rupa Pai, with us. Uh, more from her in a bit. Uh, this is the backstage uh, here, a backstage app. And uh, yeah, do get comfortable here. You can see the mute uh, button to your right. Our speakers, do mute yourself while someone else is speaking so that we can all hear each other. And uh, those who would like to speak, yes, we are looking at you and we see that you're already there on chat and all of your comments and thoughts are really important to us. So we're going to have a very interactive time today on Backstage. Uh, let me just take a few seconds out and wait for some more people to join in. Um, and meanwhile, if you have the book, have a glance at it. All right, see you in a few seconds. Okay, we're back, back after the break and back on the Bukosmia room. And if you're just joining in, phew, you made it just on time. For those joining us for the first time, Bukosmia is the number one creative platform for under 17s, publishing over 100 stories a month. Yes, written by kids for kids and reaching out to youngsters across 125 global locations from metros to tiny towns. And I'm so glad to have Nidhi Mishra here. She is the CEO and the founder of Bukosmia. And I'm going to ask uh, Nidhi something. Nidhi, why are we having uh, kids uh, talk to authors and kids interview authors and kids speaking up? What is it all about? Tell us. Sure. Hi, everybody. Uh, very, very excited to be here. Arjuna, these sessions are, I think, one of my most favorite things that we do at Bukosmia. Um, I remember as a child how um, me and a lot of friends and family would feel uh, when we are, um, you know, listening to an interview of a favorite celebrity. And then we'd go like, uh, really, is that the only question you wanted to ask? And we'd always be like, if I had a chance, 
to talk to this person. This is this this is something that I've lost. Um, so these sessions, I think, um, at Bukoslia is to address that moment. You do have a chance, um, and you must have this chance, all the young readers out there, because when books are written for young readers, uh, they should be reviewed by young readers. They should be chatted up about uh, with young readers. So I'm I'm really excited that uh, we do this uh, this exciting platform now that we have and um, what a wonderful range of um, authors and stories that we've been discussing um, i know we've had um, shobha taru talk about raja ravi varma um, last session was with Nina, um, about indonesian discoveries and um, aparna talking about um, adopting dogs not shopping caring about uh, environment and today we have uh, Rupa, have been waiting for this for very long, uh, for a lovely dip into mythology. Uh, and like you said, it seemed like such a challenge that kids could take to a book on this subject, but um, it has clearly been achieved and fantastic work at that. So let's go, let's roll with it. I know a lot of excited uh, Bukhasans are, are there. Right, well said Nadi, we are all set to roll and a drum roll please. Welcome to Bukhosmia Rupapai. Thank you. Thank you, Archana. Thank you, Nidhi, for having me, for asking me. It's a great pleasure to be here. Rupa, I have a question for you. Okay, already. <laughs> no, yeah, we it's already started questions. Okay. Rupa, okay. tell me, why are you causing a fight in my house here? Um, About so you, your book came in and already there are three of us fighting for it. So now <laughs> I'm... Uh, there is the dad, there is me, and there is my son, and all three of us want to read it together. Aww. So some some um, family discord already happening over your book. But, oh, uh, no. no. <laughs> but for such a great reason. For so, I would love to have fights over books, uh, you know, at my place all the time. And yeah. uh, I think that's a... the peril of writing a book that works for everybody. <laughs> Rupa, you should stick to a range. How old is so yeah um, thank you rupa i mean i, I just uh, my my son is 10 uh, rupa okay and, uh, okay right. and we are all in our 30s and 40s so i mean there's a whole yeah. range of uh, age groups there and we're all like you know like okay you read five pages now it's my turn to go to the book so, yeah. so here's, been... a, here's a suggestion everyone yeah. get your own copy there you go there you go <laughs> problem solved <laughs> no i Absolutely. actually know some mums who did that you know for each of their children they got them a separate copy because they said you got to keep this by your bedside and uh, you may want to refer to it at some point in the night and the day so you, you got to have your own copy you make your own notes and your own markings <laughs> so yeah. absolutely that advice is taken rupa and uh, you would know how to solve problems uh, Rupa is an Indian computer engineer and she has solved many uh, computer problems, but she's also solving our domestic quandaries as we speak. Uh, she's a children's author living in Bangalore and she has over 20 published books, which include India's first fantasy adventure series for children. I know a lot of you have read that, the Taranauts, and the national bestseller, The Gita for Children, which won the 2016 Crossword Award for Children's Writing. And I'm so glad that that is the book will be speaking about um, Rupa. Yeah. What is the big deal about the Bhagavad Gita? Why did you write something for kids? Why did I write the Gita for kids? Because I was persuaded. I was sort of forced into it almost. Like my editor, I would never have written the Gita for children. If it came out in 2015, so that's about seven years ago. 
And if you had asked me, even in 2012, if uh, the next book that I was, because I finished writing Taranauts in 2013. So maybe at the end, when the, when the last book of Taranauts was launched, when the eighth book, if you had come to me and said, so what's next on the agenda? Maybe the Gita for children, I would have laughed. I would have said, I would have said, absolutely, what? What are you saying? The Gita, the Bhagavad Gita? No, I don't know anything about it. And it's, I haven't even read it in its entirety. Certainly, and also, I think it's a book for really old people or something. Even I haven't read it. So why would I inflict uh, it upon children? Is what I would have said, actually. But somehow, my editor, Vatsala called Banerjee at Heshet India, she, after Tara Knotts, I mean, I have worked with her forever. My very first job at Target magazine, which was a children's magazine way back, she was my first editor there. So we've known each other for a long time and we were good friends as well. And I, I trusted her judgment implicitly, especially after working with her on Tara Knotts. I really looked up to her as a mentor. And uh, she somehow had it in her head that I should, she said, I have the best idea. And I'm like, what, what's the best idea? So she said, why don't you write? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Tell me what, what, what exciting thing, what exciting assignment next? Because I'm all <laughs> fictioned out after Taranauts. I have no more ideas in my head. So I'm willing to, for anyone to tell me what to write and, you know, give me some ideas. And she said, maybe you should write. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bhagavad Gita for children. I'm like, what? So, you know, my jaw sort of dropped, hit the ground, eyes sort of popped out. And I'm saying, no way. I have no idea what it's about. And also, you know, I had this thing that, no, I don't write those kinds of books. I write fun books for children. You know, I had this sort of uh, weird uh, impression about who I was and what I did and how I saw my work. Uh, and then she said, no, but I, I'm like, why are you following me about this? She said, no, no. I know that having worked with you for so many years, I know that you have a certain talent of making complicated things uh, easy for children to understand. You have a way of breaking it down. And this is, I think it's a very complex thing. I'm like, yes, exactly. That's why I don't want to do it. She's like, no, no, no. Because I was so intimidated by it. She said, no, no, please try, please try. And she absolutely, for some reason, she had this faith that I could do it. And she pursued me for six months until I finally said, okay, fine, I'll at least get a copy of the book and I'll look at it and I'll read it and I'll let you know why it cannot be done for children, why it is not even meant for children. And she said, yeah, okay, that's a challenge. If you come back to me after having read the whole text and you tell me that it's definitely not for children, I will let you go. But of course, I can't read Sanskrit. I couldn't at that time. I mean, I can read, but I don't understand it very well because it's Devanagari script. So any of anybody who reads Hindi can read Sanskrit. But I, I didn't. Now in the last in the in the COVID pandemic in the lockdown, I have taught myself some Sanskrit. But earlier, I didn't know it. I mean, I knew only as much Sanskrit as any Kannadiga would know because there are very many common words in both languages. So then I went to an aunt of mine who had some understanding of the Gita and she was a very cool kind of person. So I said, huh, maybe this, she's an educator. She used to teach physics. So I said, yeah, she's probably a good person to ask. And she, like a typical teacher, sat down, drew me a mind map, said first chapter was this, second chapter deals with this. And that's all we had time for in the first meeting. And she said, no, you come back to me every week. We'll sit and discuss it. And she gave me a bunch of her favorite commentaries on the Gita in English. Uh, and she said, you start reading and then we'll talk again. And then the next week she wasn't free. But by the time the week after that came along, I was so deeply hooked on the Gita with the commentary she had given that I had no further doubt in my mind that this must be written. 
uh, I must try to interpret it for children or retell it in a way that children will understand because I felt it was the most luminous text. It had so many life lessons and it wasn't a religious book at all. It was just a book of wisdom, of knowledge. It was, to me, it seemed like the oldest self-help book in the world. And it was at, at its core, it was a conversation between two best friends. That's all it was. And, you know, I said, my God, if I, and I was at the other extreme now, why have I never read this in my life? Why did nobody introduce me to this book? And I have to see that uh, children now will not be denied this and I have to write it in a way that they understand their lives will be so much better. Their way of looking at the world will be better. They'll lead much more content, calm, fearless lives. So that's how I came to write the Gita for children. Wow, wow, what a fascinating story, Rupa. I think it deserves its own book now. The prequel to uh, the Gita for children, how it was all conceived. I love it. Back I love story. It. BTS, like behind BTS. the scenes. I know, yeah. BTS. There's, there's a huge market for that, no? Yeah, I'm I know. Sure. Let's call Netflix, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> okay, fantastic, Rupa. Wow, what a great start. And Rupa, as you know, um, us uh, gray hairs are not going to be in the mix today. This is a platform for kids, by kids. And yes, the interviewers are kids themselves. And yes. they're all come here and they're really excited to speak to you. So let me head over right over to Ved. Uh, Ved Neeraj Zanwar, who's 11 and he's from Kolapur. Hello, Ved. Hello, Arjuna. Hi, Ved. Hi, Hi, Ved. Hello. How old are you? I'm 11. 11, okay. So Ved is an avid reader and loves to read Indian mythology and adventure. He recently mm, shared like a me. wonderful uh, review of Devdutt Patnaik's uh, Jaya recently. And, oh, uh, uh, yeah, go ahead, Ved. What are your thoughts of the book? Do share with uh, Rupa. Firstly, thank you for this opportunity. And it uh, gives me great pleasure to express my opinion on huh? the Gita. Mm -hmm. At first impression, I thought it would be a boring old philosophical book, which old mm -hmm. folks read. But yes. when I read the epilogue, it enthralled me and compelled me to read the book. And of course, Rupa Ma'am has just beautifully understood what kids of this generation exactly need in this drastically changing world. Oh. At first, I, I, after reading the question and answers in the beginning, I too wondered that would the book would the Gita be a chat? Turns out it was right. It is very easy to understand and read. Also, I enjoyed the lessons which Rupa Ma'am wrote at the end of each parva or chapter of the Gita. They were yeah. very informative and helpful. And I even tried out a few of them. And it really invoked the best in me. Oh. All in all, I enjoyed the Gita a lot. And thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much. That's such a lovely compliment that you, I mean, in so many things, I, I love that you started with the epilogue and then said, okay, maybe this is something I can read. That That's that's a lovely thought. I used to, you know, as a child, whatever magazines we got at home, whether it was India Today or a children's magazine, I'd always start reading from the back. So I'm, I'm really glad you did that and then decided to read the book. Thank you, Wade. That was a lovely review. You have any questions for me? Uh, I, I, I have one. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Palak, can you mute yourself? Yeah. Uh, 
Ma'am, who is your favorite character in the Mahabharat and why? Oh, see, I, I mean, I love the Mahabharat, but there are so many characters and I love so many characters for different, different reasons. So difficult to say I like one person as my absolute favorite character. But let's see. Mm. See, the, I think the wonderful thing about the Mahabharata is that everybody is sort of flawed. So nobody is all good and nobody is all bad. And that makes all yeah. of them, each of them, very, very interesting. Um, so you can go off into an entire, uh, you know, a whole lifetime you can spend trying to true, understand true. each character, you know, why, what were their compulsions, why did they behave like this, and learning lessons from each of them. So they're all very interesting characters. Let me see. I think, you know, my favorite character in the Mahabharat, perhaps if I had to pick one, it's not, I mean, not favorite, but I think the most interesting character in the Mahabharat is the writer of the Mahabharat who's also a character, Veda Vyasa. Yes, Vyas, yes. Yeah, uh, so Vyasa, I don't know if you know Ved, but uh, he has shares your name also, of course, Veda Vyasa. But his name was not Veda Vyasa, right? To begin with, his name was Krishna. Yes. He was the, so there are three Krishnas in the Mahabharata. Uh, this is our Krishna, the butter-eating Krishna, who became Arjuna's best friend, best friend uh-huh. forever Krishna. That is one Krishna. Yes. Then there is Veda Vyasa, who is also Krishna, but his name was Krishna Dvaipayana. And he's called Dvaipayana because he was born on a Dvipa or an island. So he's Krishna of the island. Okay, Krishna Dvaipayana. And the third Krishna, so what I figured out when I was learning Sanskrit, is that if the last A is extended, like Krishna or any any, any word, like if you extend it Krishna, uh, then it becomes a feminine, it becomes a girl's name. So the okay. third Krishna in the Mahabharata is Krishna which is another name for, can you guess? No idea. Draupadi. Draupadi's name is Krishna. And why are all these people called Krishna? What does Krishna mean in Sanskrit? Do you know? Uh, I actually don't have any idea. Okay. So many people don't know. So uh, Krishna just means black. Black or dark. So if you look at the moon, right? There are phases of the moon. 15 days, the moon yes. goes from new moon to full moon. It becomes brighter and brighter every day. And then after yes. that, after the 14th day, it starts becoming dimmer and dimmer, right? After the full moon. Yes. So yes. one half of the lunar cycle, lunar cycle is 28 days. The first half of the lunar cycle, if you start from Amavasya, when it's a new moon, there is no, it's a dark sky. From that day to the full moon, is one half, the other half is full moon to new moon, right, mm-hmm. of the cycle. Now, the yes. the first half, which is dark to full moon, I mean, new moon to full moon, is called Shukla Paksha. Shukla means white or bright. So that part okay. is called the bright, and bright part, where it becomes brighter and brighter every day. And the other half, which is brightest to dimmest, like, you know, full moon to new moon, where it gets darker and darker every day, is called Krishna Paksha or the dark phase. So Krishna just means dark. And so all these three Krishnas, whether we're talking about Veda Vyasa or, uh, you know, uh, Krishna Vasudeva, who is uh, Arjuna's friend, 
or you're talking about Krishna, they were all very, very dark skinned. They had okay. very dark skin. That's why they were called Krishna. Okay. Yes. Now that first Krishna, Krishna Dwaipayana that we talked about. So I think he's my favorite character because not only was he this brilliant person who took all the ancient texts across India that any Rishi had ever composed and put it together and made it into the four Vedas. And Vedas means knowledge. He put them together to create the four Vedas. He decided, okay, how can I classify this? Maybe this should go into the Rig Veda. This should go into the Yajur. This should go into the Samaveda. This should go into Atharva. Like that, he created these four compilations of Vedas. Okay. Oh. Of the knowledge, of the ancient knowledge. So what is, in Sanskrit, what is the word for compiler or somebody who puts together things? The word is Vyasa. And what did this person put together? He put together the Vedas or the knowledge. And that's why he was called Veda Vyasa, compiler of the knowledge. Okay. okay. So that's why Krishna Dvaipayana became Veda Vyasa. But he's also a, a forefather of the Pandavas and the Kauravas in the text, in the Mahabharata and the epic, right? Yeah. Uh, plus, why I think he's so brilliant is that he realized that he said, you know, when he put the Vedas together and the Upanishads together, he said, my God, there's so much wonderful knowledge here. But how do I make sure that I pass this knowledge is passed on from generation to generation? And how do I make sure that not only the brightest ones who can read Sanskrit, who can understand difficult stuff, only they shouldn't be able to read it. I want this knowledge and these truths and these wisdoms and these lessons to go to every single person in every generation across India and the world. So how do I make sure? He said, nobody will sit and read all these Upanishads. They're very difficult. They're very complex. What shall I do? So yeah. he said, first of all, let me reduce all the wisdom of the Upanishads into a smaller, you know, compact version. So he reduced all of them and it became 700 verses. Okay. And he said, okay. ah, this is, this is quite small compared to like hundreds and thousands and thousands of shlokas. This is only 700. This maybe everybody will read. Then he read it and he said, mm, still too complicated. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's still 700 verses. How do we make sure that everybody reads it? And he said, aha. Then he got his most brilliant idea of all. He said, you know what? I'll put... Rupa, can you try speaking again? I think we lost you there for a bit. Hello? Hello? Can you hear yes, me? Yes, Rupa. Yes, yes. We, we lost you for a brief uh, moment. Go on. Can you hear me? Yes, yes, we can. Yes. Yeah, sorry. I don't know. I thought some phone call came. I didn't know what to do. So right. next time I just turn it off. Sorry. No. So he said, I think we lost you at the brilliant idea. Yeah. That yeah, was yeah. Yeah. He said, yeah. He said, I have this brilliant idea. I'll write a story. You know that uh, Mary Poppins song, A Spoonful of Sugar Helps the Medicine Go Down? Have you heard that song? A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, the medicine go down, the medicine, the medicine go down. So basically, if you put, if you want to give your dog some medicine, you'll put it in some sugar, or if you want to give a child some medicine, you put it in some honey, or you'll, you know, so you'll do that kind of thing, right? So that the medicine goes down without any trouble. So he said, I have to put 
can you still hear me yes rupa yeah yeah so he said i have to put this wonderful wisdom of the upanishads in some bigger sweeter thing so that people will come to it and be attracted to it and he said i know what i'll do i know what everybody in the world loves whether they're young or old whichever part of the world they come from whatever religion they follow whatever they look like whatever god they worship whatever they eat their food habits however they dress the one thing that every person of every age in every time across the world loves is a good story so i'm going to write the most massive most wonderful most epic story of all i'm going to call it the mahabharat and in the middle of that somewhere i'm going to put the gita this this 700 word uh, 700 shloka uh, text i'm going to philosophy i'm going to put it in the middle of that so then and you know in the old times there was no tv or there was no internet or anything so you had to all and there was weren't even books so all of these things whether they were the vedas or the upanishads or the mahabharat they were all orally transmitted means they were told by mouth and people heard it with their ears and they remembered it so nobody wrote anything down so he said now i'll start telling the story and it'll be such a fabulous story and there'll be so many wonderful characters and so many characters that nobody will ever be able to choose their favorite character it'll be the toughest question of all and i will bring them to a most exciting point a climax a great war is about to begin everybody all the audience is sitting at the edge of their seats and then bam i'll put in this 700 verses of high philosophy of all the greatest lessons in the world i'll put it there and unfortunately because it was not tata sky or anything you can't fast forward you can't record you can't do anything you have to sit quietly until those 700 verses are recited and only then you will know what happened in the war it's like a cricket match imagine it's about to start like you know everybody wants to know who won what happened in the cricket match and then you'll say no sorry but ad break drinks break now you listen to this so i thought because he was such a brilliant guy i think uh, that is why we all have come to read the gita because we cannot skip it it's in the middle of the most fantastic story in the world that's why i think vedavyasa is my most favorite character what a lovely answer rupa i think you all had us all at the edge of the uh, seats as well uh, with that amazing narration and you can sing rupa we'll have to take you up on that again i think so somebody said was the mahabharata written to get the geeta across i imagine so absolutely wonderful I can't hear so anyone <clears throat> can you can you hear me now rupa what about the rest of you speakers nidhi can you hear me right we'll wait for siana to come back yeah all right we'll go to ditya ditya are you there ditya are you there yes ma'am but the voice is yes maybe all of us can mute ourselves except ditya and rupa
I know there seems to be some echo today. All right, so Ditya Nair is 12 and she's from Bangalore. She has a keen interest in books, music and travel. She's an avid reader and enjoys playing her guitar. She's a blogger and a very good one at that. Wow. She once uh, wrote a special blog post about meeting a very special author in person. That was your papa. Uh, oh, okay. Okay, I, I, I think I wrote Ditya Dia when I was responding to you. Sorry, your name is Ditya, is it? Uh, yeah, that's my, yeah, that's my that people call Where did we meet? Uh, big, uh, big Fest. The Bangalore Lit Fest? Yeah. yeah. Where was it being held? At uh, the Bangalore the big fest ah not the bang ah right 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 yes yes i remember okay tell me were you the one who came and who has read tara knots and this uh no i said i wrote read the science book and uh, yeah i only read the science book and i didn't read the gita yeah yeah okay okay yes 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 i remember that yeah hi ditya lovely to catch up with you here again ask me your question uh, so my first question would be, many of your books are written in a way that children enjoy, even, uh, like today I was reading the Gita and, uh, there I, like, I've always approached the Gita with a preconceived notion that it's difficult, like most things. And, um, when I read the at least the first page, which was not even the actual book, it was the introduction. Yeah. It was like you were standing right in front of me and talking to me. It's Aww. that kind of uh, writing. And uh, also other books, uh, like the science book, right for other mysteries of science. Yeah. All of them are written this way, and it's written in such a way that a person who wouldn't even know a thing about that. Topic, topic know about, know it, about it or understand what you're trying to say yeah so how do you like you know how do you get the inspo to write like that and what goals do you keep in mind to complete your writing that okay so there are two different questions there uh one is what gives me the inspiration to write uh, in a way that uh, it feels like a conversation and the other one is, what goals do I keep in mind when I write? Yeah, because so, many of us stop writing after a point because we don't get yes. inspired for a block. Yeah. So, um, so this is a question I've been asked a lot. Like, what is your muse? I mean, what inspires you? Uh, and I think a lot of writers who are true artists, um, whether they're writers or dancers or music composers or painters or whatever, they often are struck by an inspiration and then they go away and they work like crazy. And I mean, you never know when inspiration strikes, when the muse will strike. But then once that happens, you sort of go and cloister yourself somewhere for days and you don't come out. You only have lots of liters and liters of chai. And uh, you, you pro by the end of it, you have produced this amazing... A uh, bit of deathless prose or art or what music or whatever. Um, unfortunately, I don't think I'm one of those weird true artists. For me, the best muse is a deadline. You know, if somebody has told me that you have to submit this thing by this day, 
inspiration will come from somewhere and i'll just finish it because i'm 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 more driven by uh that i have promised this to somebody that it will be done by then so i better sit down and do it and i have there absolutely no excuses you have to finish it so when you're driven, <laughs> so i'm very much like that kind of uh you know nose to the grindstone kind of person so if i have promised somebody something i'll try my best to do it so that really is my inspiration and if you just ask me where do i get inspiration for my books from from everywhere uh and how do i write in a conversational way because usually very often i pick up topics that i myself know very little about i just told you how i came to write the geeta for children i i don't know enough okay so but but i think what i have luckily for me what i have managed to retain from my childhood is curiosity i'm i'm truly curious about the world and uh and i don't i try not to have preconceived notions about anything i try but i told you already how many preconceived notions i had about the bhagavad gita but i try to and actually the bhagavad gita taught me that writing the bhagavad gita taught me that it's very silly to have all these notions don't imagine things and don't assume things until you've tried them so when i when you say that you know nothing can be that hard surely nothing i mean something it's not rocket science surely you know if you go into this subject whatever the subject is with an open mind some humility some curio a lot of curiosity then usually that subject or that topic and you are willing to do the hard work you are willing to read you know art pieces and various pieces various books to find out the answers you are willing to surf through like uh you know i don't know 250 websites to find what you need if you're willing to put the hard work and you've got some humility and you're saying like i'm sure it can't be that hard please please subject whatever it is economic science open yourself to me show me show me what you're about i really want to i do want to love you i do want to like you so i'm sure you're wonderfully interesting so please tell me about yourself so if you go in with that kind of mindset i think the subject will speak to you okay and when it does i am so fascinated and i'm so excited about what i have just found out that i immediately want to tell like 10 people about it especially children because i want to say don't be scared about this subject or don't be scared about this topic it's amazing it's fascinating it's very interesting so i think i that because i myself i'm so excited about it i'm able to convey that you know that that sense of oh my god this is really interesting did you know did you know did you know so i think that comes through in my writing because if the, and my children have had enough of it i have two children who are now grown up but all the time i was writing something when they came home from school they would get a whole year full of what i had been working on that day until they're like please can you stop like you know i just want to eat my tea in peace but i was like no 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 but you have to know did you know this did you know this so it's just that excitement that i myself feel i think uh, i try to convey to the reader that's how it comes out like that i feel i don't know if that answered your question but uh, and what goals do i keep in mind when i'm writing this is what it's just the i try to be very very disciplined one thing is i have to finish by the deadline or i mean not it's not always possible so i will let the person know my editor or whoever is expecting me to finish by that time that you know maybe it will be 15 days delayed or whatever i just couldn't do it so i'm sure i make sure they know in advance so they're expecting it but then i just sit unfortunately like Uh, edison said thomas alva edison who invented the electric bulb he said you know genius is a uh, 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration 
I totally agree with him. You ha- it's very hard work. So it, it's not like suddenly when inspiration will strike you and you'll just sit down like a crazy person and write it and it'll all be done. Unfortunately, it takes days and days and days of sitting in front of your computer from nine to one or whatever, you know, you have told yourself, this is the time I have for my writing and staring and staring at the screen. Some days you'll write 2000 words, some, day you'll, some days you'll write 200 or less. But the important thing is to keep the discipline and sit, sit, sit. You can't say that, ah, no, no, it's not coming. Just chuck it, tear that paper and throw it. No, you have to keep going back to it. Sometimes it may help to go away for a weekend, go away from it for a weekend or, uh, you know, I'm talking as a professional full-time writer, I can only take a weekend off. But as a, as a young person who's just experimenting with writing, you can say, okay, I'll just let it lie for a week, finish the exams, finish Diwali, whatever, and then come back to it. But come back to it for sure. Abandoning it is not the answer. Uh, unless you feel that, okay, this has reached a dead end, I'd like to restart. But finishing something... Starting something is very easy, but finishing and completing something gives you a sense of accomplishment and a feeling of confidence, even if you don't particularly like the end product. And you say, okay, it was good. I mean, it's not great. I don't want to give it to any school magazine or anything. I'm not you know, totally pleased with it. But I have actually started something and finished it. That itself is a huge step. And next time you'll have more confidence that when you start, you'll finish. And that becomes a habit. If I start something, I must finish it. And when you keep doing this, there is no doubt but that you will get better and better and better at it. That's the answer, actually, my answer. That was beautiful, Rupa. I hope that answered your question. All right. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, Rupa, what you said, I would like to put on my auto if I had one. Back of my auto. <laughs> Which part? Everything. I think I need to fit in a lot. <laughs> All right. So thank you, Rupa. And uh, uh, guess what? There are a lot of things happening on the chat. So all of you keep it on. Uh, and I have uh, something that I wanted to share with you on the chat. All of you people on the chat. Tell us one thing that was a preconceived notion for you, but you somehow overcame it. Like how Rupa like, said, you stuck to yeah, it yeah, and you managed to do that. Yes. So yes, all of you, like whoever's done that, put it on the chat, the and chat uh, we would love to share that with Rupa as well. All right. So yeah, Siona is waiting for us. Siona. Sure. Um. Yes, ma'am. Can you hear me now? Yes, perfectly. Hello, Siona. Hello, ma'am. Hi, Siona. Hello, ma'am. So recently, I had written. An essay with my thoughts of uh, what if the supercontinent Pangaea never broke into the present-day con- continent. Mm-hmm. And in that, I wonder that maybe so much fight and rule over land and discrimination wouldn't have happened if humans had one single piece of land to call their home and there would be more equality. In your book, there's a chapter on how most religious texts Teachers to treat everyone equally and you must not discriminate others because of their religion. But I feel in reality these religious texts only unite people among one community together but create more discrimination with another community that believes in a different religion. And many times this has led to wars and battles. Like when the Britishers came to rule India, they took advantage of our differences and partitioned India with the divide and rule policy. 
The fixed sanctuaries and streams should have separate religious texts with different rules and festivals, but maybe also have a universal text so that with good teachings for everyone in the world to understand and follow, just like Sanjaya. So, ma'am, my question is that I have sometimes observed that some people are very religious when it comes to celebrating festivals and doing pujas. But uh, treat people at home very badly, like workers yes. or lower caste yes. people. So, ma'am, yes. what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, that's a very deep and profound question. Uh, thank you, Siona. Uh, so, um, uh, there were many questions in there. That's that's a very so you know that that vision that you have put together in your essay about. Pangea, one supercontinent which never split up, where everybody followed the same religion and uh, which allowed people to live in harmony with each other. That is what in literature and in idiom is called utopia. Okay, like a magical kind of impossible kind of land where everything is wonderful or you can think of it as a version of heaven as we see it, where every, everything is harmonious, everything is beautiful, the weather is always correct. It's never too hot, never too cold. You know, everything is wonderful. But it's called utopia and it's a fantasy. It's a fantastical concept because human beings, unfortunately, are made to be suspicious of each other. Our nature is that we should protect our own and we should we should fight the other. You can think of it as the other in uh, inverted commas, whoever the other is. It could be religion, it could be somebody from a different country, it could be somebody whose skin color is different, it is somebody who uh, eats food that we think is not okay. Like, you know, when remember when we used to hear about, oh, in Korea, they eat dog meat. And everyone goes, oh, like, oh my God, what terrible people, how can anybody eat dogs? But what is the difference actually, right? It's just another animal. So all these, we are so wired as human beings, we're programmed to gather around ourselves people who believe the same things we do, who think like we do, who enjoy the same things, even among friends. You will probably be friends with, how do you introduce yourself to somebody and you say, oh, you read, you've read that author? Oh, you've read uh, what Rick Riordan, you love Percy Jackson? Oh, you like those movies? Oh, have you watched that show? So we're always looking for things that are common. And when you find an enough number of things common, ah, this is my friend. This person I can talk to, this person I can be friends with. But if somebody has very different tastes from you, even in your own class, uh, and you know, if you don't have common topics to talk about or common things to enjoy together, usually you don't become that good friend. So that is a given in human relationships. Okay, so let's accept that we can't change that. Now, within that, um, religion. Now, so religions are were never meant to divide people. Actually, the founders never meant to use them as a, for them to be something that divided people. Religions were only founded, any religion, if you think about it, were founded to answer some basic questions that human beings have always had from the beginning of time. What kinds of questions? Those questions would be, who am I? What is the purpose of my life? Why am I here on this earth? What is the meaning of this life? What is the purpose of my life? So if I just come here and I live some life and then I die, because everybody dies, everything dies. Nothing is certain in life except that everything will die. That is the only certainty. So finally, one day, suddenly, without any warning, I'll die. Or maybe with lots of warning, I'll die. Or, and everything around me that I hold dear will die. 
and then it's over. So what's the point? So these were questions that have always troubled humans wherever they lived, in whichever age. And the other big question was, what happens after death? Death means finished. Then that's all. It's all over. You never existed. Over. That kind of thing is very difficult for human beings to deal with because we are very self-aware beings. We are thinking beings. We, are, we have the gift of reason and rationality. So we can provide explanations for 200,000 things, but there is no explanation for this, what happens after death. There is nothing that we can see and prove because nobody has ever come back from the land of death to tell us exactly what it was. Therefore, a lot of deep thinkers from every part of the world in every society have thought deep thoughts. And then they've said, how to make sure that people are not this always living in this fear, what will happen next after death, what will happen, why am I here? How to take away this fear? And they came up with different, different, wonderful stories that we can tell ourselves to reassure ourselves and to be able to live somewhat content, peaceful, happy, good lives. And they created this concept. They said, ah, there's a God. There's Different religions did different things. There's a God. Some religions said there's a God and he's watching you all the time. And if you're a bad person, he's like Santa Claus. If you do good, he'll say, who's being naughty? Who's being nice? Then he will give punishment. Then otherwise he'll give rewards. And if you've got, if you've been a good person, according to God, then you go to heaven and you live happily ever after. Otherwise you go to hell and you live unhappily ever after. But it's always ever after. There is no second chance. So some religions came up with that kind of concept. Other religions had other concepts. And in the East, a lot of religions, especially the religions that came out of India, had this concept that, oh, yo, there are second chance, third chance, fourth chance, as many chances as you want because the soul is immortal. Nothing will happen. You'll keep reincarnating. You'll keep coming back to learn many, many lessons. And there is uh, things like there is no, that God, whoever it is, that supreme energy, it's not watching you. It's not a he, it's not a she, it's not, it's an it at best. And it's, it doesn't have a name. It doesn't have a form. And it's not watching you because it is not going to give punishment or reward. You, by your own actions, are going to give yourself punishment or reward. Okay, so you please mind what you do. So different, different concepts. But it's people. People take the teachings of every religion. And because they are basically fearful of everybody else and they need something to, uh, to, to bond around, they make the religion another thing to bond around, like cricket or Bollywood, which films, which actor, which celebrities. You need something to bond around. And they say, this is our, this is what we'll bond around. This name of this God is what we'll bond around. And anybody who doesn't agree with us or doesn't agree to bond with the same God, they are the other and we should destroy them. Or we should hate them. Or we should just be suspicious of them. And we should treat them differently. We should treat them as somebody below us, lower to us. All these concepts are only born in the minds of people and in india what happened was the vedic religion which is the oldest religion from which the gita's wisdoms all come it's not a religion at all that that what that's what makes it somewhat more egalitarian and uh, better it's a philosophy it's just a way of thinking and that way of thinking says that boss you can do go whatever you worship god in whatever form or name you want you call god krishna or jesus or allah Vaheguru, whatever you want we all know it all ends up in one supreme energy so we have no problem you call what you want it you don't want to believe in god you say there is no god at all excellent you can believe that also because there is no proof right they agreed that there is no proof we can debate it you can think what you want 
all we are saying is that there is action and this consequence. If you want to do, if you before you do any action, please think about what you're doing. Make sure that action is not, you're not doing some action because you're angry or because you're scared or because you hate somebody or because you love somebody, even loving somebody and doing action, not a good thing. If you're doing some action because you feel this is what I need to do in this time, then only it's a good decision. Please do that action. Whatever consequence comes, you will be able to deal with it. Don't simply do some action because everybody else is saying do it, because you look cool to your friends, because you're so angry. Don't do those actions because that will not lead to any good. So that's And they said every religion is, I mean, everybody is the same. If you can think of the whole world as your family, the whole earth and everything in it, not only people, even the trees and animals and insects, all of it is my family. I am part of them. They are part of me. That's what the Gita says. If you can think like that, then you are truly a citizen of this earth and you will be a content person. So that those are the kinds of rules and lessons. There are no rules. Those are the kinds of lessons that uh, the Vedic religion and a lot of Indian religions, this is what they say. So because it's not now we practice it as a religion, but actually it's a philosophy. So it, in that sense, this Vedic philosophy is like Pangaea. It embraces the whole world in it. Okay, so um, so yeah, so that is the uh, and yes, as the other thing that you said was people who will say something, who will do all the pujas, all the rituals, but actually will be mean to people. So that is what the Upanishads say. The Vedas were earlier, right? The earlier part of the Vedas, they said you must do yagna, you must have put, you must sacrifice so many animals, you must put uh, uh, so much milk and crops and rice and ghee and everything into the fire because you're offering it to the gods. They have to eat, you have to nourish them. And then the Upanishad said, actually, you should do all that for to build discipline. Okay, but that is not the important thing. That's just an external manifestation you know that fire need not be some giant fire and you don't have to compete with everybody else doing yagna saying my yagna is bigger than yours you served only four sweets we served 10 sweets you only honored 100 brahmins we honored 1000 brahmins no it's not a competition the real fire the important fire said the upanishad is the fire inside you that yagna fire not the fire outside and what is this yagna fire inside you it's a fire that burns away all your negative qualities. So definitely keep that fire burning and throw into it every single day your laziness, your jealousy, your anger, your fear. Throw it all so that it can burn bright and true inside you. That is the real yagna. So these people who only do the external, they are not and being mean to other people or children or dogs or uh, you know people who work for them, that means their inner fire, their inner yagna fire, they're not feeding it with enough fuel. They are not. And because they are not throwing in their negative qualities into it, that is the fuel for that fire. If you don't throw in your negative qualities, it will burn less and less and it will go out. And this is the problem. So their inner fire is burning very low. Outside all the fire, maybe what's the point? Right? So yeah, that, that's what I feel. Uh, you should keep your inner fire burning, like the Upanishads said. That was brilliant, Rupa. Keep your inner fire going. Uh, Rupa, I think there's some audio issue. Can can you also mute? Let's just try it. Yeah. 
All right. All right. Seems to be okay. So let's, I think let's one of us uh, speak at a time, maybe some, some back today. Uh, Rupa, I just loved that. I think all of us were just kind of in a trance, just listening to you speak. This is exactly the kind of motivation I think we all came in for. Uh, the kind of mindfulness, as Nidhi put it in the chat, uh, definitely a very wonderful, inspiring session so far. And I can see Palad, that is Hiral, uh, a message saying that, Rupa, you're giving a very good foresight to the children. A clarity on religion is a very important thing in these times. Um, and uh, furthermore, in the question, the we, question had we had on the chat, the we had uh, a question by Arno. By Arno. Mm -hmm. And uh, where is that question? So he was a bit so of a troll, a troll, I think. <laughs> he, he said, a nice book, but why no page numbers? Yeah, that's, I've been asked that many, many times. And I'm always directing you all to my editor. So I can please write to Hachette India and ask why she didn't have page numbers. <laughs> because I also was saying, why are there no page? There are page numbers, but not on the gray pages, I think. I think some of them have page numbers. And then there are a lot of page numbers skipped. And then... Uh, it restarts something like that as i remember i, I have to go check but uh, yeah <laughs> yeah all right all we'll right. have a we look have with hatchet on that, on that. <laughs> okay we'll okay, go now go to abhishuti ghosh abhishuti is 13 and she's from kolkata she loves reading writing and explore new things She's learning she's Bharatnatyam, learning Bharatnatyam and she's actually and one of Bukosmia's young podcasters, podcasters. Oh. who's very soon oh. going to host her very own podcast on Greek mythology. Ah, wonderful. See, that's why when I was talking with Percy Jackson, she must have got excited. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Abhishuti, yes, ma <laughs> um, just hang on. Uh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Like um, Rupa, yeah. uh, can yeah. you just press uh, reset, just reset on your phone once? I think that'll take care of the echo. It's a button right next to exit. Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, Abhishruti, go ahead. Oh. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> no worries. First of all, ma'am, I want to thank you and Bukhasmia for giving me this incredible opportunity. I've read many books written by you which includes the Vedas and Upanishads for children and the Saranov series. Yes. And I'm a fan of your writing, I must say. What is the most exciting feature of your book is the simplicity of language and your capability to offer children the chance to pour over the more difficult books, but in an effortless manner. Gita is such a book which is more of a mentor for us, children and elders alike, than a mere treatise. And it is exceptional that you have portrayed such complicated lessons of life in a simple yet effective manner. And due to the different examples that you have included in your book, it makes it even more interesting and captivating. So ma'am, I have one question for you. Shall I begin? Please do. Yes, ma'am. So my question is, since you've written about Gita, so my question is related to it. What role did the Gita play in your life? While I was writing it? Yes, ma'am. While you were going, uh, like, reading over the book, yeah. browsing through the pages and all. Yeah. 
So first of all, like I gave you some indication while I was answering the first question, it opened my eyes to the fact that it was not about religion, it was not about caste, it wasn't even about God, except in a metaphorical way, Krishna is God. But if you look at it carefully and you think about, if you think about it, you're like, okay, so what it made me think about was Kurukshetra, some far away field in Haryana, from where I am, it's very far, okay, I live in Bangalore, this very far away field in Haryana. And uh, this war happened some thousands of years ago. And what was it actually? What is the Gita? It's a conversation between two best friends. And one of the best friends is telling the other one, please stand up and kill your family. I'm not taking you away from the battlefield. I don't care. I want you to stop getting fully clouded by your emotions. I want you to think clearly and I want you to do your duty. And I'm going to give you a lecture which lasts 700 verses so that you will choose right. You will choose the right action. So this is the conversation. And I'm like, you know, I'm sitting here in the 21st century, uh, very far away from that battlefield. Uh, hopefully, I will never be called upon to stand up and kill my family. Then why am I reading this text? What possible relevance could this conversation have in my life? Right? So that was my question when I started. But what I realized by the end is that Kurukshetra is not just a faraway field in Haryana. Kurukshetra is in our minds. Kurukshetra is in our hearts. Every single day, we go out into the world to do battle, right? Not battling with swords and guns and uh, bows and arrows, but uh, battles of moral battles. There are these two options open to me. If I do this, everybody will think I'm cool and I'll be accepted into this popular group. And I'll get to do that cool stuff. But if I do the other thing, uh, which which is actually, it feels right to me. But if I do it, it's just too much work. And, you know, uh, everyone may think I'm just a sissy and they may not be my friend. And, you know, I'm such a goody two-shoes. This seems like more fun, more wild, more dangerous. But it doesn't feel right. You know, so these are the kind of battles we have to fight so many times a day. Not once, many times a day. And when we are faced with this dilemma, what do we do, right? Also, the Pandavas on that battlefield of Kurukshetra, they are not outside of us, they live inside of us. The Kauravas who are on the opposition on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, they are not outside of us, they also live inside us. And there are always only five Pandavas and there are 100 Kauravas. There are only seven battalions on the Pandavas side and 11 battalions of soldiers on the Kauravas side. So what the Kauravas are saying, and once when we are faced with this uh, dilemma, what should I do, this or that, both of the sides will start yelling. And the Pandavas will say, no, 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 I don't think so, don't do that. I know it seems cool right now, but maybe you shouldn't. And the uh, Kauravas are like, no, 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 you, yeah, what, who cares, just do it. Nobody will ever find out, you know, and it'll, it, it, it'll make you popular or it'll make you famous. Just do it, do it, do it. You'll have that, that, that person you want to be best friends with. She will immediately become your friend and nobody will ever find out. So if you actually listen to what the Pandavas if you are saying and what the Kauravas are saying and their voices are so loud, you will be just completely confused and you will do something just to make them be quiet. And in the end, you're like, why did I do that? After you've done that, you're like, this is not what I meant to do at all. So that is what we should look to the Gita for. When you're in a dilemma, do what Arjuna did. 
become arjuna take your cues from arjuna what did arjuna do he was standing in the middle of the battlefield he had just suffered this complete nervous breakdown he was par- hello can you can you guys hear uh, rupa uh, no ma'am uh, no ma'am i think she got cut we'll wait for oh, rupa ma'am. to come in hello? rupa are you there yeah okay you got can cut you for a mini second there go ahead mini second only okay okay so he's like wondering what to do what to do uh, i mean he's saying i can't do this but and he was also standing his pandavas were also yelling at him they were not saying it loudly maybe but through body language if he if he had looked at the pandavas at that time he would have seen their complete they would have been so worried oh my god our great hero is not going to fight he's put his arms down what's going on we will lose we will lose if we lose heart at least you know all the soldiers will lose heart they lose their confidence we won't be able to win this battle and if he had looked towards the kauravas he would have seen such glee on their faces oh my god arjuna partha is going to leave the battlefield then to this this battle is ours to win so he he would have seen all this and he would have got so confused what did arjuna do he cut off the pandavas he didn't look at them he cut off the kauravas he didn't look at them instead but he also said i am not going to fight unless this thing is clear in my head i am not going to take any action unless i am sure in my head what the right action is so he cut off the pandavas he cut off the kauravas and he turned to his best friend and he put his dilemma in his hands said you tell me what to do you give me your best advice and i will do i will i will do what you say right you can do the same thing we can all do the same thing that's what i realized while i was writing the geeta that was my biggest takeaway that's how it changed me that stop listening stop thinking of what people will think what will they say what will they say what tell your pandavas you please be quiet tell your kauravas shush it i don't want to hear you make them both zip their mouths and only when they both are quiet then you can hear the still small voice of your krishna and again you can call him krishna allah jesus wahe guru she it whatever you want that voice every one of us has a krishna and that voice will speak to us but only if we tell everybody else to be quiet if we stop considering the world and just listen to our own strong inner voice we will know what is to be done okay so that is what you must that's what i learned that if i talk to my krishna and krishna won't suddenly when you're in the middle of a dilemma okay boss krishna i don't know what to do please speak up now tell me tell me quickly what to do because these my friends are on the phone they want me to go i'm not sure if i should go because i don't think mom will like it but i can lie to her and go but should i i'm very confused so krishna please wake up fast fast tell me what to do suddenly krishna won't come and start speaking why did krishna speak to arjuna because they were best friends and it's your responsibility to become best friends with your inner krishna how do you do that speak to yourself every single day at the end of the day 10 minutes before you go to bed and talk talk about your own day to your krishna and say you know this happened krishna people these girls were all girls or boys or whatever they were talking about this other person in the group because she was absent and
Rupa, we lost you again. Looks like. I mean, why does it keep muting? It just mutes by <laughs> itself. I'm not even. My finger is nowhere near that mute button. Anyway. <laughs> All right, continue. Yeah. I think you're getting a call. Maybe that's why. Again, again, it yes. muted. Yes. Ah, I think whenever a notification comes, it mutes. Correct. Okay, correct. I'll yeah. alert to yeah. this. Okay. <laughs> So basically, the, you, you would speak to your Krishna every evening, say what you've been through, why, what action did you take? I was faced with this battle, Krishna, this was a moral battle. I chose this course of action. It seemed very cool at the time, but now I'm not feeling good about it. And then Krishna will tell you, see, so good. So then maybe next time, don't do that. You know, this doesn't work for you. You know, so you have this conversation with your Krishna. And then when you're in trouble, once you become best friends, once you trust what he or she is telling you, then when you're in actual dilemma, you say, what do I do? And Krishna will speak up before you even ask. Because he says, oh, my friend is in trouble. I have to speak up now and make sure he or she doesn't do something stupid. Okay, so that's how you build this relationship. And uh, that's what I learned from writing the Gita, that it, it is not some faraway thing that happened long ago. The Gita is alive in us every single day. Kurukshetra is alive inside us and outside us every single day. And the only way we can win that battle of Kurukshetra is by being on the same side as Krishna. If we let Krishna drive our chariot, our chariot will always stay on the path. Thank you, ma'am. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Rupa, I don't think we've ever, ever thought of it like that. Kudos to you. And uh, I think all of us are going to go back with so much to think about. All of you on the chat, tell us in one word, the one word that you're going to take back from this session uh, for yourself to think, for your Krishna, to sit with yourself, that five minutes of solitude that Rupa talked about. So tell us on chat, the one thing that's going to stay with you post this chat. And we would all love to share and know what you think. Yes, I would love to hear also. I would love to see what you think. Next, we have Hiral Trivedi. She's an incredible artist from Vadodara. She's a reader. She's a classical dancer. And she's mom. She's a Bukhazvian mom to 14-year-old Palak Chaudhary. And she was really keen to come and speak. And we also want to know what a Bukhazvian mom thinks. So over to you. Uh, hi, Rupa. Hi. I'm basically I'm also, also a children book library, library owner. Oh, I see. How lovely. And we have all of your books of your with books. us. <laughs> Yay. So I've, Thank you. I've read uh, almost all of your books also, except, uh, you know, maybe a couple of them. Uh, but particularly the nonfiction, economics, uh, the book about medicine, you know. Uh, so I think that is a wonderful job that you're doing. Thank you. And, and the last, the last uh, book club which we had right we before had the lockdown right was lockdown. based on the Gita. Oh, okay. Your book. <laughs> and I've gifted yeah. it to so many children. Oh, oh yeah. nice. So, um, uh, I like, I, one thing that you mentioned that you didn't even think that this book was for children. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then you got started to reading and then thought this had to be shared. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder how wonder these, how uh, you know, uh, how, does how does religion go down, go down to you, to you along, along with a topic, a topic like Gita? Because, because uh, I, always I always thought, that, thought you know, books, you know, books which, 
like Gita like, or Vedas or Upanishads. Children tend to think that it's about religion, it's about uh, Hinduism. Yeah. Uh, and then this generation is actually uh, they want to run away from anything to do with religion. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, and so how, how did you convince yourself, or yes. how do you tell this to children that you know this is going beyond? Yeah. And how do we, you know, get religion out of this? <laughs> As a separate, yeah, so uh, unfortunately, we can't, uh, nobody has, has control over how somebody else views a book or a text or an idea, right? right. So our best bet is to, instead of saying that because those people say it's religious, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Hmm. The best thing to do is to explore it for yourself. I mean, that's why I wrote this book. I said so many of us, like including myself, had never explored the Gita because first of all, it's always told to you that it's very complicated. You know, you go for years of Gita class and still we are only unraveling the first layer. Right. So you're always told that it's something very deep and very philosophical, which it is. But at first glance, it need not be. It's, after all, it's a story. It's a story told by a master storyteller, Veda Vyasa. Yeah. So he's yeah. also trying to get in as many people as he can into the project. Like, you know, he doesn't want to leave anybody out. Once you mm -hmm. get, so it is a story. It's told in a simple way, quite simple. There is nothing very complicated on the first layer. Then you can go deeper and deeper. So if you just treat it as a story, um, I think what helped me also was that in my house, I didn't grow up in a family where the Bhagavad Gita was revered. Right. Where we, right. Nobody told me anything from the Bhagavad Gita while I was growing up. So I was able to approach it as a literary text. Just, as, yeah. just a text, you know, not as a religious text, but as an ancient and uh, sacred text of India. Not as anything to do with my religion, but just, mm -hmm. you know, a sacred text. And everybody is always raving about it. Let's see what it's about. That kind of approach. Uh, so we can't, I think, you know, instead of believing what other people tell us about anything, the best way for us even for our children or whatever is to allow them to explore it by themselves uh, and just because i'm i've written about the gita i want to say that you know hinduism we say hinduism so often and so casually but the word hinduism itself was invented by a british person about 150 years ago yeah okay. that's that's true yeah <laughs> and uh, and the word hindu is never mentioned in the Vedas or the Upanishads or the Gita at Absolutely. all. Absolutely, yeah. And that is because, not because it's a bad word, but because uh, it is not a Sanskrit word and everything is written in Sanskrit. Uh, Hindu is a, is a Persian word. It was the word that the Persians used for yeah, people yeah, of yeah. this land because they said anybody who lives, beyond the, who lives beyond the Hindu, which, which was their name for the Indus River. Yes, yes. yes. Anybody who lives beyond the Hindu is a Hindu. That's all. So hmm. Persian Empire came up till the Indus. So anybody. So I think we have to dismantle for our children. It's our responsibility as adults to let them know that religion is one thing, but good values and good lessons are a different thing. And what the Gita and all deal with. The rituals are just part of tradition, not necessarily religion. If, to, if we want to feel Indian, we celebrate the festivals, right? But if you want to be a good person, then you read good texts. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Gita happens to be one of the most compact and uh, wisest 
texts of, of many that we can come across because it's a very egalitarian, secular text. It's in the middle of a story, right? It's not... Right. Uh, right. So somehow we have to... I mean, I think it... I think we were the lost generation, if I ask myself. You know, we, our parents, at least my parents and other people, parents of my generation, were so enamored by English and Western education. And, you know, so they left the, while they continued to do the traditional rituals at home, they sort of didn't give us enough of an underpinning of what our religion or our practices or our worldview in India, why do Indians Absolutely. think this yeah. way? What is it that they, they did all they could to make us into good people? Uh, right. you know, who, who stick to the they, they, they have the formula, they wanted, they wanted us, to us to be in that formula, yeah. And they just mm. felt like if you follow these, if you just join us for all these traditional pujas and everything, that's all you're Hindu, and you know, you just be a good person. But they didn't give us context about what is this philosophy. Why are we like, because there's also that, uh, and you know, if anybody looks at India as like, oh my God, it's so chaotic, so chaotic. What a chaotic country. Every other country that we visit and come back, we say, oh God, everything is so smooth and harmonious there. Why is our country like this? The moment we come back, we feel like we have plunged into chaos and assault on all the senses. But if we as parents can unravel that for our children, if we can think deeply about it ourselves, equip us, mm. read this, that, and then we'll be able to tell them that it only seems chaotic because everybody is allowed to do what they want, right? It's You can worship any God you want. You can wear any clothes you want. There is, you can, if you want to wear a burqa in public, sure. If you want to be a Jaina Muni and you want to not wear clothes in public, sure every kind of so diverse and all diversity all language all methods of worship are all not tolerated but accepted in this country so if you allow for so many languages and so many things it will seem chaotic but if you flip the switch on that flip the lens you realize that it's it's only chaotic because it's so inclusive it allows everybody to do whereas in other countries they're not Certain things are not allowed. Everybody has to be homogeneous. That's why it looks so harmonious. I'm not saying that we have we are the greatest country in the world or anything, but we are far more accepting of diversity and diverse opinions and diverse ways of living in this country than most other countries in the world. Absolutely. And I hope that continues, continues. Yeah. Rupa. Yeah, yeah. That's, that is our responsibility to keep it, to protect that, to understand Absolutely. it and protect it. And to understand that this is sanctioned and it's possible because our oldest texts advocate this actively. They say individual, everybody, please do what you like. The celebration of the individual, which is now touted as some Western thing, is actually a very Indian thing. Everybody, individuality, be who you want to be. And what else can we say but from the Upanishads that Tattvam asi aham brahmasmi. You are God itself. You are that supreme spark i mean can any religion be more blasphemous than that that you are not that you are made in god's image or you have you are inferior to god or you have to bow before god but you are god you have each of us has the potential to be god or to be a demon and it's really up to us to choose so we choose our destinies and we have the potential to be god and we are reminded of it over and over again through our ancient texts 
and we should never feel irrelevant, powerless, because we carry that divine spark in us to be anything we want to be. And that divine spark is what what all of us are going to think about today. Uh, Amazing, amazing, uh, Rupa. And look at the chats. I hope you've had time to read through. Um, I had asked, what is the one thing you'll be taking today? Uh, And uh, Abhishruti says she's going to take away her true friendship with her inner Krishna. Vardhika says the fire that we should throw in all our negativity. And uh, we had Siona who says that nurturing our inner self is so important and that we can believe in our own form of God. That what, that's what Rupa said about Tattva Masi. And uh, we have Varnika who said, I've read the Gita for kids, but by listening to you, I had such better insight and understanding of the topic because I agree. Conversations and making it come alive, interactive will make everything great, just like Ved Vyasji. Uh, Abhishuti says, it was wonderful talking to you, Rupa, ma'am, and you gave us an insight into the inner meaning. Wow, what a great uh, time all of our youngsters seem to be having. Uh, Rupa, uh, we had spoken about one prawn that you would like to give to to all our youngsters. youngsters, So uh, would you like to give that? that? Sure. So we've been talking about um, how individuality and individual conceptions of anything is completely not only accepted, but encouraged uh, in India and in the Indian texts. So Indian texts will tell you to question, not to believe at all. Okay, They don't say you must believe this. Most religions will ask you to believe. The Vedic religion, not, not, the, not a religion, this Vedic philosophy or Sanatana Dharma, the eternal law, what it asks you to do is to listen respectfully to everything and everybody's opinion, but also always be brave enough to question. Do not receive received wisdom I mean, don't trust received wisdom so much that you stop using your own mind. So questioning, challenging respectfully is very much a part of, uh, you know, Vedic tradition or Indian tradition, Indian tradition, ancient Indian tradition. Um, So because individuality is celebrated, I want you to think of if you could design your own God. Because the the God, which is a capital G God, or supreme energy, or Brahman, as the Upanishads called it. Brahman just means the vast one, Brah, Brahad, it's vast. So whatever, as vast as the sky, as vast as the ocean, as as vast as the earth, as vast as the universe, and you can be that, okay? Anyway, so if you had to, but it's so vast, we can't actually relate to it sometimes. Sometimes we want to have a conversation with God. We want him, him or her to be our friend. And then if you just can't, you can't, you can't relate sometimes as human beings to a formless, nameless, uh, genderless energy. It's difficult for us as human beings. We would like our God to be our friend or our mother or our, uh, you know, child, like how we celebrate baby Krishna. We want, we want something, we want our God to be something we can cuddle and love or, you know, whatever your conception. So I want you, because it's allowed in, uh, in Hinduism, for each of us to design our own gods, I want you to design your God. What will be, what will it look like? What, how will it support you? He or she or it, uh, how, in, in what way, what are the qualities in it that you consider wonderful and better than human beings, regular human, average human beings? Uh, give it a name, uh, give it a form, give it a gender if you like. And, uh, 
yeah so i'd love to know what your individual god or goddess would look like and and what what relationship will you have with it will it be your friend or your father or your mother or teacher or how will you look at your god so this is my something for you to think about if you could design your own i mean you can <laughs> love that love rupa that and i know that our youngsters are going to love this amazing prompt from you uh, what a wonderful what a session wonderful we had rupa i think we're all uh, running out of superlatives here <laughs> thank you i'm just channeling the ancient texts and nothing not one original thought has come out so far i've just i'm just relating to you what the ancient texts have always said and only synthesized through my brain and it can be synthesized and process through your brain and you could come up with something even far more enlightening all these truths and texts are already there to access so i would hope that you all will you know at some point in your lives starting today thank you for making thank us, for think, making us rupa. think rupa <laughs> and that is the whole point of the vedic religion to make it it respects everybody as a thinking individual don't believe what i'm saying go on your voyage of discovery what i am telling you is just to help you in your own journey that's all i can we even the greatest rishis the greatest teachers the greatest sages said i can tell you how, what my journey was like and i would love it if you listened because there might be some pointers there for you but in the end my friend you have to walk that road yourself and you will come to your own beautiful path and you any path is valid you can go by any path but if you work with dedication and focus you will reach the same destination fabulous and what fabulous. great what words great as we words end the session, end today. session today on behalf of veed ditya siona abhishruti and palak thank, thank you so much uh, rupa for coming in here and thank to all of our youngsters varnika also great job on the chat Yeah, Nidhi, over to ஆசிரியர்ஸ்ட் and uh, they just make you such a better person even for that one minute or so you know when you try to be a better person so um, this this was wonderful rupa we've been wanting to have you over for a while and it was absolutely worth the wait <laughs> thank you so much i think um, the podcast should be like a mandatory session for everyone who picks up the book <laughs> just add so much more magic to reading it Yeah. wonderful it was wonderful to have you over i can see all the bookosmans are so inspired and motivated um and before we wrap up i just want to share with everyone here on the chat that uh, 14 november we are launching um bookosmans is launching the first ever comic book for kids to understand their neurodiverse friends and don't get scared by the word um none of us knew what it means a few weeks back a few months back um this is for every child it's just to understand diversity better so we hope to catch all of you there um it's it's going to be something which is very exciting and completely led by the kids which is why we're doing it on children's day um so your forum all over again i uh, hope to see you all of you there thank you so much everybody this was a wonderful was a wonderful, wonderful session, session. Thank thanks rupa so thank you archana so much for hosting it uh good night everyone and namaste thank you rupa namaste everyone, namaste, everyone.
Thank you, ma'am. Good night. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone.